Welcome to Hillside Community Church's weekly podcast. We're glad that you've chosen to listen to this week's message and hope that it ministers to you today. Hillside's located in Keller, Texas, and if you would like to know more about us or to listen to previous recordings, please visit us at yourhillside.com. And now, this week's message. Good morning. I'm tired. I don't know about you. Let's see how we can do in this one. All right. So, we're in a series uh, learning about what it means to, to have eternal life now, to, be, to, to, live in, to live an eternal kind of life now. And uh, so we're learning it's more than a future reality. And uh, to enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ means that your life takes on the quality of eternity now, immediately. So companionship to him means you immediately begin forever. The moment you come into relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, forever begins now. And John, who we have been counting on in 1 John to teach us what that life looks like, and in a word, okay, he uses uh, this word here when he's describing eternal life. Verse 3 says uh, eternal life, this word fellowship with each other and with the Father in Jesus Christ. So that word has become sort of a dominant word, and, and he just keeps putting new shades of color on it for us. It's a very relational term, highly relational term. Uh, has the idea of to share and to have in common. That's what it means. And so what we've kind of learned, really, just real briefly, is that w- eternal life Whatever it is, it involves sort of a community with each other, and, and then John says, and our fellowship is with God, who is in community himself. So whatever eternal life is, is just this dynamic relationship with God and with each other together. They can't be isolated or separated. In fact, we've marveled at the idea that John would actually put such a priority on this one, almost to the point to say, you've got to go through community to get to God, almost. John says that. That you can't bypass community and have some dynamic relationship with God alone and not have community. I mean, that's, it's been incredible. Uh, he's so joined these realities that if I don't feel a compulsion, compulsion to connect, to share with the church in commonality and in community, then John would say, you don't have a relationship with God. That's what he's saying. We've spent a great deal looking at sort of the ins and outs of relating to one another. And I sort of have promised that we would talk about what does it mean to have fellowship with God, because we've been talking about this, and I'm trying to pull it apart, and John won't let me pull it apart. So every passage I'm looking at with him keeps them connected in, in a way that's just incredible, colorful. But I do want to tease out some of what it means to relate to God 
uniquely, personally, and privately, but, I, but it's got to start again with the community element. So I just want us to look at verse 5. So if you get to verse 5, you go, okay, John, I see this picture. We've been talking about community. So now we say, okay, let's talk about what it means to have fellowship with God. And John will say this. This is the gospel message which we've heard from him and announced to you. And he says right off the bat, God is light. And so you figure, okay, if I'm going to have fellowship with God, I need to know what he's like. And John tells you right off the bat, he's light. And in him is no darkness at all. So we're going to get three verses here to help us tease out what it means to have fellowship with God in this picture. And then, so John's not finished. The next verse says, if we say we have fellowship with him. All right, so we're getting closer and closer to understanding what it means to have fellowship with God now. John will say, now, this is a really important word for John. John has, because people are claiming things, but they're not doing anything. And so if we say that we have fellowship with him, but we do not, ah, here's a new metaphor, but, we aren't, but we're walking in darkness, then look what John is saying. We're lying. I don't know what you're saying, but whatever it is, it's a lie. You have an understanding of yourself that is false. Because you aren't practicing truth. And, and for John, this is reality. And that's what we're talking about. We talk about eternity. Eternal reality. You're in it or you're not in it. Doesn't matter what you say. Okay? Now, we'll tease out this metaphor of walking here in just a little while. But Now, look at this next verse, because I've sort of left part of it blank. Now, if you're looking at your Bibles or anything, I want you to look up here. Forget, don't look at your screens, don't look at your phones or whatever, tablet, however contraptions you've got in your hands. Look what it says. So here's John in verse 7. If we walk in the light, though, as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with, you would assume, based on what he's already said, with who? Say, go ahead, him. You'd say we'd have fellowship with him, or you have fellowship with God. That's exactly what you would expect, because he's just told us that God is light, and he's just told us that we have fellowship with him if we're walking in the light. But that is not what is there. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship. Look what he put in there. With one another. You want fellowship? <laughs> this, is, this is incredible. So I get to verse 5, and I'm excited because now we get to shift a little bit from thinking of our relationship with God in community and now talk a little bit more about what it means to experience God in our own personal, private lives, which, by the way, we will tease out over the next few weeks. But John, once again, is going to connect your private, personal relationship with God with one another. He literally puts the one for the other. To where you think you're talking about a relationship with God, you're really talking about relationship with each other. They're both together. They're inseparable. It's... It's just beautiful. And every commentary uses this literal, this line, because I've read it so many times this week. This comes as a surprise. 
And they use the word surprise. Yes, you do not expect that. It's a surprise. And it is. And then he says, look, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So, Because when we think about relationship with God, we usually start with the sin thing. John is starting with the community thing. John is starting with the community thing. Because John just refuses to let you live in a world where your spiritual reality is solely defined by a private relationship with God in which you are forgiven. If that's your universe spiritually, John would say, you've got a huge piece missing. I know that's really hard to hear for those of us who have been singing the blood of Jesus all our lives. But John puts the picture like this, and I actually drew it out because verses 5 and 6 take you here, 7 takes you there, and in between them, he says, you want fellowship with God? Let me tease that out for you. It's fellowship with one another. And that precedes the cleansing from the sin. That's how... That's how significant we are to each other as it relates to our spiritual lives. So, now Dallas Willard, um, he says people who come to Jesus because they just want Jesus' blood to forgive them of their sin, he, they don't necessarily, you know, and take them to heaven eventually, don't want to live eternally now, he calls them vampire Christians. They just want to suck a little blood and basically say to Jesus, excuse me for a while, I'll see you later in heaven. John will have none of that. Now, I don't think Willard expected it, but the, but the metaphor works really well because what did John say God is? Light. What do vampires hate? Light. They disintegrate in it. They can't walk in it. And John would say, yeah, something's wrong with the guy who just wants the blood but doesn't want to live in the light that God is revealing. So when you say God is light, you say, well, how do you relate to a God of light? What does it mean? Why would John call him light? And what does relationship with God look like in light of the fact that John calls him light? Well, obviously, you see, community is a big part of that. Uh, so let's look at it. John says God is light. According to John, believers then would be attracted to that light. And John's going to tease out some different things about it, because of course it's morally pure and bright. Um, but it's more than that. So here's a couple of things about the fact that God is light that will help us understand how to relate to God. Number one, uh, the, there's a, the property of light is to reveal 
Okay, so the first thing we learn about God is he is a revealing God. He's, John would say God's clear about who he is and what it is he wants you to do and be. God is not unclear about those things. If you walk around as a believer in a fog about who God is and what he expects of you and what he wants from you, something is wrong, John would say, because he's light. He is revealing. So that would suggest a couple of things, and I'll just throw them out there, because one of them is we've been sort of emphasizing is, be careful about uh, anyone who says, I have special, unique knowledge of God that no one else has. Because God's not hiding anything from anyone and giving it special to someone else. He's light. The other thing that you might be tempted to say is, well, I can't find God. Well, that would be really difficult. God calls himself light. God would say, I'm not that hard to find. That's another thing. So God's nature is to reveal. He does not want you in the dark about what it means to relate to him. He wants to be found. He wants to be seen. Okay? The second thing is that the light, whatever it is, 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 an, is ultimate truth and eternal reality, whatever that light is. Now, I'm going to take you to verse 8 for a second because John continues this metaphor in chapter 2. He says, on the other hand, I'm writing you not a new command or a new commandment to which you to, which is true, there's John's truth and true and real in, in him and in you, because darkness is passing away. So John's going to tell us something about darkness. It's passing away, which immediately means it's temporal. So whatever darkness is, if you're in that, you're not in eternal, you can't be living eternally now. If you're in God, you are. But if you're in darkness, that's passing away. That's not going to last. It isn't ultimately real. It's, it's, but look what he says. The true light is already shining. So John would say, no, the, the, the true light, sort of really interesting, has sort of imposed itself on the darkness and is already shining inside of it. And you can already be in that light, even though we live in a dark world, and that darkness is fading. Within that dark world, light is already shining, and you can already be in the light. You can already be seeing what it wants you to see, living how it wants you to live. So it's ultimate truth and it's ultimate reality. So John would say that the light is a bigger, more dominant reality. And if you're not living for eternity, then whatever you're doing is going to fade away and pass, pass away. It's just ultimately, it cannot last. So eternal reality has sort of entered this one, overlapped it, and is overpowering it, whatever that light is. Uh, I have a... a one of my favorite books is, uh, it's, it's called More Than Meets the Eye. It's by um, Richard Swenson. And it's a book on physics, basically for dummies. 
It's what it is. And it's a beautiful book. It's a theological work that discusses physics in ways that are beautiful. And I don't know if you've thought about light in a while like this, but listen to this. Nothing in the created order, he says, is equal and is remarkable in its essence uh, uh, that God assigns to light. It establishes the speed limit for the entire universe. Its speed is the only constant in the universe. It's outside of time. It never ages. It anchors the law of relativity. It is both a wave and a particle. It allows us to see. It comforts us with its presence, depresses us by its absence. It conveys the energy and warmth that allow us to live. It consumes darkness, but itself is never consumed by darkness. It is mentioned as the first thing God created after the heavens and the earth. It apparently has divine metaphysical nature to it. Very unique. One of my favorite things to read about is light. And then he goes on to say, and he quotes uh, Schroeder, who is a physicist. And listen to this. At the speed of light, the highest speed attainable in our universe, time ceases. Time stops. The flow of time stops. So you've got e- there's a sense in which it's eternity already in, in our physical reality. The time of all events becomes compressed into the present, an unending now. The laws of relativity have changed timeless existence from a theological claim to a physical reality. I mean, right here in our own universe, we experience, or it is experienced, eternity. He goes on to say, Schroeder, Light, you see, is outside of time, a fact of nature, proven in thousands of experiments. I don't pretend to understand how tomorrow and next year can exist simultaneously with today and yesterday. But at the speed of light, they actually and rigorously do. Time does not pass. The biblical biblical claim that the Creator existing outside of time knows the ending at its beginning is not because the future has already physically occurred within our realm of time, space, and matter. Einstein showed us in the flow of light the corollary of the eternal now, which is God who says, I was, I am, and will always be. That's God for you. So to say that God is light is in essence to say he is eternal reality. And because God is a revealing God, he has revealed that eternal reality, which you can live in now. That's essentially the beauty of this light, and it goes right with our, with our understanding and John's teaching about what it means to live in the eternal reality. So let me say it one more way. When you walk in the light, whatever that is, you're actually basking in eternal reality. You are taking in, you are walking in forever. And your life then, whatever you're doing in that light, your life actually makes up elements of eternal reality. <laughs> so amazing. And we have to figure out what the heck that means, because right, now you're going, uh, professor of physicists, uh, Pete Chiafalo, the professor, I, believe me, I'm no professor, but it sounds very... Uh, 
What does it mean to walk in that? Because John is trying to make it clear that that's what we're walking in. And that's what I want to spend some time thinking with you about from a practical perspective right now as we enter into what does it mean to relate to God in light of what I just said. Well, John will go on in this section here to describe it a little bit, and he doesn't get off the theme we were talking about. He's going to keep with the light and dark theme, and look what he says. The one who says he's in the light but still hates his fellow Christians, whatever light is, you better believe community is a huge part of it. Because John's going to say whoever hates his fellow Christians. And hate, remember, it's not you're just sitting there you're going, well, I don't hate anybody. It's not that. It's anything but the active connection with people, and I'll tease out what that looks like here in a second, then that guy is still in darkness. He's in a world that's passing away. He is not basking in forever. The one who loves his fellow Christian lives in the light. You say, I want to be in the light. You better love your fellow Christian. You better love the people in your community. And look what John says. There's no cause for stumbling in him. That guy sees real clearly. He knows exactly where he's walking. Because this is what I'm trying to say to you. God has revealed it. You do not need to stumble around spiritually. Tripping over yourself all the time as if God hasn't made it crystal clear who you are supposed to be. It's clear. The one who hates his fellow Christian is in darkness, and he walks in darkness. There's that metaphor again we'll have to tease out. And he does not know where he's going. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. John says, you ought to be seeing really clearly your spiritual life. It ought to be crystal clear to you. So what should be crystal clear? Uh... Because whatever walking in the light means, it means experiencing this kind of community. So what does community have to do with my relationship with God? And again, I want to say it's sharing. And here's a key word we're going to see, sharing and, and commonality. What do I share in common with God when I come to him? You. You. That's what John is saying. That's why, you gotta, that's why you come through community to get to God. Because when I come to God, what I share in common with God is the community which he created. What I share in common with God is you. And what does that mean? Well, I've been teasing this out this week, and I think I could say these things right here. God loves it. When we interact with him about our interaction with each other. God loves it when we interact with him about our interactions with each other. So I'm writing this point on Friday because... um, So I I jot down in my notes, it's about 11.15... Study all week long, but on Fridays, Fridays, all day, is dedicated to writing the talk the way I want to say it. That's what I do on Fridays. And so it's about 11.15 on Friday. I get to this point in the talk. 
And I jot down these words after I just make this comment here. God loves it when we interact with him about our interaction with each other. And I write down the words concerned and prayerful. The moment I did that, I promise it was 1114, and I know it because I got this text the moment I wrote that down. That's the text I got. Now, you know, when you're writing a talk, you know, one of the things that happens to you when you're, when you're doing, you know, what the Lord is asking you to do, and then he sort of gives you something like this. You go, ooh. I mean, this is one of those moments. Somebody texted me this. That's all the text was. I'm not, I'm not leaving anything out of the text. And so I get that text right there. And then all of a sudden, you know, what happens to me is I realize, okay, somebody's praying for me. And I know who it was because I had met with them earlier in the week. And he asked me, what is something that I could pray personally and uniquely for for you? Because he asked me to pray for him for something. And I told him something. Something I haven't shared with a lot of people. Maybe no one. And so later that, that morning is when he writes the text that he's praying for me. So all of a sudden, his relationship with God is in view of me. And my relationship to him is in view to him. If I, this is what I'm trying to say. If you are going to have a unique and special, precious relationship with God, you are going to have to have one with each other. Because you know what God wants you to do? <laughs> you are a big focus of my relationship with God. You are a big focus of my relationship with God. And let me just, <laughs> so you step back and you think about that. And then I jotted this down because I thought, yeah, what would my relationship with God be like if there was no one in community in it? It would be very self-centered and kind of weird. What am I praying about? What am I talking to God about? What matters here? What could he want me to do or be if you weren't in the picture? It would get really weird and self-centered, especially trying to relate to a God of community, and I have none. How do I relate to a God of community, and I have none? So John is saying, I know you're wanting me to talk about an experience with God, and I'm telling you, you have no experience with God if you don't bring community experiences into that experience. And so I started to tease out a little bit more about what that looks like. And I've come up with three things that I think when it comes to your relationship with God, alone and private, community, uh, it ought to grow out of community. And the first one is this. You ought to have times when you come to God and you're, number one, overwhelmed with gratefulness for the people that are in your life and what God is doing in their life. So you ought to have close enough community with people in this church 
that you're actually encouraged and motivated by what God is doing in them and the wonder of having them in your life. Do you have people like that? Is part of your relationship with God coming to him and just being completely grateful? God, I come before you today, and I don't know what else we have to talk about today, but i got to tell you, there are some great people in my life that you have put here that I don't know if I'd make it without them. I know I wouldn't make it without them. And I could not be more grateful to you for them. Part of your relationship with God ought to have that conversation right there. But you see, you have to be in community to have that conversation. Because you don't want to come to God and say, yeah, there's this guy. I don't know him. What? That'd be weird. It's not going to cut it. I was reading. This is what I did. Just read Paul's letters, the beginning of them. With a rare exception, there's one or two exceptions where Paul doesn't pray for the people he's writing for. But when he prays for them, he says things like this. First of all, here's Romans. First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you because your faith is proclaimed throughout the whole world. I love what God is doing in your lives. That's what he says. But then he does this. For God, whom I serve in my spirit by preaching the gospel of his son, is my witness that I continually remember you in my prayers. I'm like, okay, Paul, tell me what you talk to God about. What kind of private, special, unique relationship do you have with God? All he would do, and listen, by the way, this is repeated and repeated and repeated. I just went through it. I read Ephesians. Just open up all his letters, and you'll see exactly what Paul's praying about. Paul's praying about people in his life. And he's overwhelmed with thankfulness for what God's doing in their lives. So I'm telling you, in your private relationship with God, there has to be communication with God about the people in, in your community where you're just overwhelmed with gratefulness for what they've done to you. Here's the second one. You come to God burdened by their struggles, their pain, and their desires to grow. You come to God with that burden. When was the last time you went before God in this great relationship maybe you claim to have with him? And all you could do was ache over the struggle and pain of a brother or a sister in Christ in your community. Because I don't know about you, man, but I would imagine God sitting up there going, I can't believe that's what he's talking to me about. When he could be, when the, look at what's absent from his world. You know, I can't remember who it is now. I want to, W.H. Auden. Maybe it was Auden, poet. You know, he who lives in a small community, lives in a much larger world. When you come to God, how big is the world you bring to him? 
You got this tiny little universe of just you? That's what I'm saying. The reason your relationship with God gets weird is because it's only about you and you don't know how to relate to God. I can tell you, you can't relate to him if it's only about you. You just can't do it. You come to him burdened with, I want to see you know, so-and-so shared with me their desire to grow. And by the way, it's about one something now. This was the text I got as I'm writing this point. God's trying to speak to me. Okay, this is God trying to say something to me. Hey, buddy, asking for prayer. Bad week. Lots of stuff. Listen. I know what's coming to a head, and I know what he's talking about here. And, and immediately I'm going to go to God with that. And listen, you're hearing John say, God loves it. When you talk to him about your interactions with others. So these are the two texts. Somebody's praying for me, and somebody needs me to pray for them. And you better believe that is all-consuming, and God loves it when you interact with him about his people. Things they want to do, things they're going through, struggles, pains. It doesn't matter what it is. Your heart is broken for those things. That's what God wants you consumed with. That's where God wants your head at. You got to be in close enough community to know this, the, what a bad week looks like for somebody. <clears throat> I mean, John's saying, you got a weird, sort of internal kind of spiritual life. If it's not, if you're not interacting with God about people. And it could be lots of different things. I mean, it's, it's, sometimes it's a spiritual need. Sometimes it's a physical need. God, they need spiritual strength. Because what's happening is you see God working in them, and then you're calling on God to do it, and all of a sudden it just changes the nature of your relationship with God when that's happening. So if this whole element of your spiritual life is missing, then, then, then something's wrong. This is something to repair. Okay, God, I need to get into community, so I got something to talk to you about. Otherwise, it's just about me and general things. You know what? God will never become great to you if you're not talking to him about this kind of stuff. The third one, as I think every bit is significant, is... Um, the third one is not only are you overwhelmed with gratefulness for them in your life, you're burdened by your struggles or their struggles, sin, pain, their spiritual growth, their spiritual desires. But number three, you're moved by God to do something about something they need. This is one of the best ones. This is one of the wonders of the spiritual life is when you're talking to God about something in somebody's in community and God tells you to take care of it. And you feel that movement. He might tell you to go. He might tell you to call. He might tell you to reach out. He might tell you to, uh, to give. He might tell you to serve. He might tell you something. But I'm going to tell you now, you're waiting for God to give you instructions about something and you only care about the future. 
Lord, direct my life because, oh, Lord, I don't know which way to go. All of us are lost, it seems. Look, you're stuck, people. You ain't going anywhere. Can I just tell you that? Where, where are you going? You're going to get up tomorrow. You're going to leave here. You're going to get in your car and go to your house. And then you're going to get up and go to work. What are you doing in between? God's speaking to you about a million things that could be done in between. You're only worried about where you're going to be in 10 years. And what's my next job opportunity? And God's going, oh, my Lord, would you shutty shut? There's people right now in your world I need you to do stuff for. Dole out some cash, sissy. Hey, yesterday, my wife says, we need to go visit this gal, and she's in the hospital. She's a friend, and it's one of the most heartbreaking things. I, I, can't, I cannot talk much about it, but uh, just the middle of the last year, this woman has been a part of Hillside since the earliest days, and she's, because of some infection in her back, is experiencing... Uh, Paralysis from the waist down, and, and I don't know if she'll ever move again. It's just overwhelming. Well, there's a few of us who really know her and love her, and, and uh, she's in a rehab right now because she had to have surgery because for this, it's complicated. She's in this thing. She'll be there for weeks, and she's there by herself, and it's all the way in Dallas. If you go visit her, you're going to spend, it's a three-hour ordeal at, at the at minimal. But she's alone, and she's a high people person. And so yesterday we're out making some rounds, and my wife says, we've got to get to Dallas. And she calls her, and she says, hey, do you need anything? And she said, chocolate. And my wife was happy to go get that, i got to tell you. So we went and got some chocolate. We drove all the way to Dallas, and hours just went by as we sat there, and just we laughed and we cried. And uh, it was, um, for lots of reasons, the highlight of my entire week. And uh, she said, when I wake up in the morning, two things happen to me when I wake up in the morning, every single morning. And this is what I would challenge some, some way in your life where you wake up in the morning and you think, okay, God, the first thing ought to come to your mind is, I guess you want me here one more day. That's the first thing that ought to come to your mind. You must want me here one more day. And then the second thing that ought to come to your mind is the neediest people in your life that aren't you. They're, they ought to come right to the top of your, they ought to come right to the top of your list. And I thank God that right now in my life, this hasn't always been true, but right now in my life, when I wake up, the first thing that comes to my mind is the top three people that, oh my gosh, what are they dealing with right now? And I get I get to pray for she's at the top of my list every morning. So I'm in there, and she says, Look, I can move my foot like this. I'm, I'm going. I don't know. It doesn't mean that she's going to be okay. It just means something. And she's excited, and we're laughing and crying. And we go to leave, and I bowed down at the foot of her bed, and she reached her hands out because she wanted me to grab her hands to pray. And I said, I'm not grabbing your hands. I'm grabbing your feet. So I got down. I lifted the sheet over her feet, got down on my knees. I grabbed her feet. And I prayed 
as probably as sincerely as I've ever prayed in my whole life. And it was, it was a glorious moment. And Gail and I drove back just taking deep breaths about, oh man, could God do something great there? Could God do something great there? He's already doing something great because she's an incredible woman of faith. But we're praying for it. And you know, it didn't, it didn't cost me anything. But it was, it was going to God for her and then trusting God and, and entering her pain a little and all of those factors. And I know that God is up there going, your interaction with me has to be about your interaction with people who need you, me, who love me and are interacting with me. And if you're doing that, you're great. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you've never been, if you haven't been in a community long enough, to have someone literally do something for you that drops your, your jaw. Like, have you had that happen to you lately? Or someone has done something for you that you go, oh my gosh, <laughs> that is huge. I can't believe somebody did that for me. I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. And you just go, oh my gosh. But then if you haven't had the moment, where someone is saying that about you? Oh my gosh, I can't believe you did that for me. What are you talking to God about? That's what John's trying to say. Quit yakking about your forgiveness of sin. Great, you're forgiven. Now live in the light. Be drawn to the light. You want a relationship with God? It better. It better. You want to interact with God? It better come. This is your interaction with people in community. Father, we thank you for your word. It once again is just so revealing, so so wonderful. I pray you'll just take the pieces of that, Lord, that each of us needed to hear. And draw us to that light where we want to practice truth. And not just have this private, alone kind of relationship with you. I want to say something to you about the light in case you don't know Jesus Christ. The light is revealing. It's, it's penetrating. It's, something has to happen in that light for you to be drawn to it. And what draws us to the light, even though it's so transforming and changing and sometimes painful to get us out of ourselves, the beautiful thing about the light as Swenson says in his chapter on the light, he closes with this. In fact, I closed with it at Christmas Eve. It would blind us if it wasn't for the fact that his love hits us first. The light of his love hits us first, and that's what draws us to it. If you don't know Jesus Christ, you'd be drawn to his love. 
Thank you, Lord. Open our eyes and hearts in Jesus' name. Amen.